Welcome to Job Tales, the show where we find out about different professions from people who know. Each week I speak to a new guest with a fascinating job. I talk to DJs, rally organizers, astronauts, mathematicians, you name it. You'll hear about their professional path to doing what they do, the skills required, and the tools they use for their job. I'm Laura Leoncini, and today my guest is my high school friend Valentina Donini, researcher, PhD in comparative law, and in charge of teaching culture of integrity at the Italian Anti-Corruption Authority. Valentina, I'm happy to have you as my guest, so happy, because you and I go a long way back. But other than this, I'd like you to tell me 30 years plus later, what do you do in life? Oh, Laura, thank you very much for uh, this invitation. I'm very, really glad to be here with you today. And I'm really happy to talk uh, with you about my professional life, uh, which is uh, quite uh, complicated, but uh, I hope uh, you may find it interesting, even if you you know, actually, many of... uh... Okay, what I'm doing now, actually, now I am a researcher and lecturer, and I work at the National School of Administration in Rome, where I teach prevention of corruption. And I am also the spokesperson for the multi-stakeholder forum for open government in Italy. This is, uh, I have been appointed with this task last year and uh, this is temporary, but still it's something that I'm really proud of uh, this. So uh, I will talk about uh, this also today. What did you study? After oh. high school. So yes. you did language school with me and then yes. afterwards. Yes, I have beautiful memories of this yeah. of the time. Great, Great memories. Memory. When and we had no worries and we were young. Very young. <laughs> very young. <Yes. laughs> Teenagers. Yes, it was beautiful. But uh, no, I'm happy of what happened afterwards. Actually, I decided to study law. So I graduated in law in Rome University, Sapienza. And then uh, I, I was uh, not so certain about my future as everybody, but I knew I didn't want to become a lawyer, even mm. if uh, it could be interesting. But uh, I, I preferred to study. I felt that I could be a good scholar. So I went on studying and I had a PhD in uh, comparative law. And I was uh, very happy of this because uh, this comparative background is still very important uh, to me and to what I'm doing now because it opened my mind. You know, when you have to study other legal cultures, it means that you cannot just study law, but you have to widen your field of... uh, You have to study history, geography, politics, uh, social sciences, because actually law is the result of many non-legal factors, and you cannot ignore that. And I was uh, really happy of studying a legal legal system as a whole. And... uh, Actually, I also think that comparative law is not just an academic field, but it's a method, it's an instrument, a way of reasoning, because uh, it makes you go beyond your uh, conceptual boundaries and uh, it offers you a wider perspective and uh, we we need it because we have to go actually beyond our limits, our uh, prejudices and so on. And uh, actually, as a PhD student and even later as a researcher, I was very lucky because I had the chance to travel a lot, to study abroad, to meet foreign scholars, visit foreign universities, to teach then in foreign universities. And that was very, very important because I had very important experiences abroad and 
actually it, it made me the person I am now. And when you study law, you just you cannot just stop uh, to you know law in the books, but you also yeah. have to to see law in action. You have to see what's happening in the in courts. So you have to to follow the public debates and so on. Mm. So, so I, when you when you did your law studies, uh, the first few years were common to other branches and then you did comparative law is that how it works yes actually i made a normal uh, program for law students but in the end you have to choose in which uh, field you want to specialize so i i wrote my dissertation on comparative law and uh, afterwards i thought that i wanted to go on with comparative law that's why i applied for a phd and i was uh, lucky enough to gain a disposition for a phd in comparative law so okay. i I had uh, three years more of uh, studying, research, traveling, and so on. And I had to write another dissertation, a more important one. So it was my first step into an academic career. And I was very, very fond of it. And I liked it. What was the title? Of, of my dissertation. dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> dissertation. Very far from what I'm doing now because it was uh, contract law in uh, Arab countries because actually that's what uh, comparative law, I was comparing Arab countries and uh, because I had studied Islamic law. And okay. uh, yes, uh, that's why I also went to some countries uh, that to study Arab for a while. But okay, that's uh, another part of my life. It's, it's <laughs> but uh, yes, for a long time, uh, I um, was specialized in that. But uh, I also had a general background in comparative law. So when I started teaching, my teaching assignments were both on uh, Islamic law and law of Arabic countries and on comparative law in general and also in international trade, uh, uniform law that were my activities at that time mm. in the past. Yeah. <laughs> Have you changed career over uh, the course of your life? Yes, actually, yes, because I started as a researcher in comparative law. I wrote a lot on comparative law and I wrote books, uh, essays, articles, uh, chapters in books, uh, research paper and whatnot, uh, and a lot of other things. But then I even gained a position as an associate professor, but it was in a university, well, not in Rome, and for a number of reasons, which are very complicated to explain now, uh, at a certain point I understood that that was not my destiny and that I needed to do something different. So uh, I changed. I changed and I was not really young when I changed, but I, of course I was a bit worried because for a long time I had thought that my life would follow a certain path uh, mm -hmm. at university. But then there was uh, this change in my life and uh, I'm still a researcher, but not in a university because uh, the National School of Administration is something different from a university. Yeah, okay. uh, we still make research and we have teaching activities, but we don't have students, undergraduate students, but we teach to civil servants, so to the people who, are, who already have a degree, so it's uh, higher education. Mm -hmm. And we teach to the civil servants in Italy, and this is very interesting and also very challenging. And it's different from uh, university teaching because you have to be more focused also on a practical, on the practical side, not just on uh, the theory or on the academic uh, part of. Uh, and it's very interesting, of course, because I'm 
doing something which has an impact on people because I'm teaching prevention of corruption. Uh, Still, I'm very grateful for my comparative law background because I still use the method in my research on this subject because corruption is a global phenomenon, is also a multidimensional phenomenon and it is spread more or less all over the world. So the response also must be global, the legal response must be global and international. There is a strong need for coordination and cooperation among states in order to face corruption altogether with an holistic approach. Moreover, we should also consider that the recent changes in the Italian approach in tackling corruption derive from international conventions, from international treaties. So Hmm. the international dimension is always very, very important. important. So it's coming in handy for you to know the comparative law. Yes, of course. And also to to see what other countries are doing. And especially the comparative methods is very important. A specific field of my research is something which is not very familiar to the Italian experience. And this is the protection of whistleblower. Yeah, tell this me more some... about this. Actually, can before you talk about whistleblowing, can you tell me exactly what is corruption? Like, how would you define corruption? <laughs> so... That's a great uh, question. Okay, corruption is uh, an illness, I would say that, because you cannot just say that corruption is a crime. Of course, mm. it's a crime. Sometimes it's not even a crime. It can be just uh, an attitude. We can. What is very interesting now is that corruption is not just something limited to the criminal dimension, but also to an administrative dimension. So we can talk both of corruption and of maladministration, uh, which is uh, an administration, a public administration, which is not uh, working in the best way because uh, there are other interests preventing mm. the administration to follow the public interest. So there is a conflict of interest. So I would say that corruption is an illness, a social illness. and cultural illness. Okay. And many people are suffering from this illness. How do you treat an illness? You have to cure this. And being a cultural illness, you have to bring a cultural response and teaching is part of the response. This is uh, something that has changed in the last years. Corruption has always been a big problem here, but in the last 10 years, a new legislative framework uh, made things change. First of all, the idea that you cannot fight corruption if you focus only on repression, because repression comes afterwards. Of course, it's important if if you are responsible for corruption, you have to go to jail. But if you prevent corruption, it's even better. That's why, you know, prevention is better than cure. And prevention is crucial. And you can prevent corruption only if you have an overall holistic approach, which does not focus only on laws, on rules, on measures, on technicalities, but also on culture. Because Hmm. corruption is a social and cultural illness, so you need a cultural treatment. You have to teach people. You have to explain people what is a conflict of interest because they don't have any awareness on these uh, people. Sometimes uh, are responsible of uh, maladministration. Well, if it's a crime, it's different because you must be aware of committing a crime. But mal- maladministration most of the time depends on lack of awareness, mm-hmm. and people do not even uh, are not even aware of the social costs of corruption not only of the economical cost, because of course uh, uh, corruption 
has a cost, an economic cost and also a political cost. But it also has a social and moral cost, and that is even worse than the economic and political, because corruption steals the future of people, uh, steals the um, hope of a better yeah. future, especially yeah, for, sure. for young people. And that's very... But it must be very difficult for to whistleblow. You know, like, I uh, remember there was a movie about it, which really struck me. And I say, wow, it is really hard to come out because you're scared, of course, when it gets more on the criminal side, I mean. Yeah, but not just on the criminal side, also on the maladministration side. If you, if you notice in your administration that something wrong is happening, it is normal that you want to report this because you may notice that there are, uh, I don't know, wastes or frauds or abuse or corruption or even danger to public health or to safety or danger or mm. uh, threats to the integrity of the administration. So what should be normal? That you tell, that you mm, speak up and nothing bad should happen, should happen to you. Mm. But we know, and this is very sad, that after reporting, after whistleblowing, terrible consequences happen to the whistleblower. So yeah. we need to protect uh, whistleblowers. Uh, they deserve protection from retaliation and protection of their identity, of privacy, yeah. because nobody should yeah. know that uh, who is the whistleblower. And this is very difficult. It's very difficult even if uh, time is changing and uh, awareness uh, is growing all over the world. And also in Italy, where uh, whistleblowing was uh, unknown until a few years ago, now we have uh, legislation on this. But even if we have legislation, we don't have the word. We just yeah. we, we go on using the English word whistleblowing because we don't have in the Italian culture a word fully corresponding to the English term. So if there is not a word, it means that we don't have the concept. And that's the concept of it. So is that your your job uh, to you know on an everyday basis? Yes. Is that I, what I you have do? to raise awareness on this subject because many people think that uh, who reports is someone bad someone mm. who does this because he has personal interest or because uh, he's uh, a spy, someone who is not uh, a good person. And you have to explain that is uh, the contrary. Uh, a whistleblower is someone who cares for uh, his administration, for cares for mm. integrity, and uh, is not afraid of suffering consequences because he knows that there will be consequences. And still, he reports so yeah. actually, whistleblowers are the heroes. And, uh... <laughs> I can tell from how you speak that you're very passionate about your job, which is <laughs> great. You know, and knowing you from the past, I know that, uh, you know, integrity is definitely part of your life and your being. I know that uh, back in the days when you started your career, you refused to work at a law firm because it was not representing your values and what you what you wanted to do with your life. And can you tell me, you know, how have the the values of of your life and you know what you believe in and family have you know shaped your career? 
Yes, <laughs> okay, that's difficult because it's not, uh, I don't have a very brief answer. Okay, of course. Uh, <laughs> Try your I, best. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, okay, values are very important and uh, I couldn't have a career if I'm not believing what I'm doing. I, I need to strongly believe in what I'm doing in order to have the, the strength to do it, also the, the passion, the uh, the will of going on otherwise it is very very difficult if you love what you are doing and i i enjoy uh, doing research and i enjoy even more teaching and being a little part of the change i want to see in my country this is very inspiring and gives me energy to 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 work i was not uh, in all my professional life and in the choices that i've made in the past uh, especially I have never put uh, the economic aspect at the first uh, place. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, I wouldn't do what I'm doing now, actually, and probably I would be a, a lawyer or, or I could be an associate professor because I gained a position and I'm maybe the only person uh, in Italy who <laughs> said after gaining, I changed my mind. <laughs> and this, is, okay, this is something very, very strange. But, uh, and it's also a matter of time because we have just uh, one life and you can, we cannot waste it in doing something that uh, uh, we don't really like. Mm. And it's a matter of uh, balancing career with your personal life. I am a mother, not just a scholar. And being a mother is for me uh, something very, very important. And my children are uh, uh, the source of my inspiration, <laughs> also my professional inspiration. Because when I think at the future, at no. the, the, the world we are leaving to young people, I'm very worried. So everything we mm. can do to, to, to try to change the world and make it a better place it's uh, important that's so a, I, a good point i have to make a balance between what i want to do in my professional life and what i want to do in my personal life and i don't want to be far from my children they need me and they need to have a mother and to have guidance in their life mm-hmm. so it's a matter of balance and uh, there is no money who can buy my time that's that's what yeah. i uh, really think thinking about the offspring you know future generation now what will be your advice to them you know uh, they're you know thinking about our listeners between you know 15 and, and 25 or 30 year old eh. what yeah what can they do to make the world a better place <laughs> don't be afraid to to try because everybody should try maybe nobody will succeed because uh, we are not succeeding, actually. <laughs> but if we stop trying, it's uh, a problem. Someone uh, told me once that uh, young people dream of uh, changing the world, but then uh, are grown up, grown ups that are in charge of doing this. Mm-hmm. And that's true, because when you're young, <laughs> actually, you, are, you don't have the power to do what you really want to do, but you have the possibility of uh, trying, dreaming, hoping, and uh, experience something you have to to be in the right place uh, to make this change happen but everybody can uh, do a, a small part uh, simply with the uh, with choices with behaviors with uh, small uh, little steps 
yeah. you are not going to change the world. I make an example of the climate change. It's terrible what's happening. And uh, I think that we are all responsible for it. So uh, we are all engaged. We are committed to do something. But uh, of course, uh, what can a single person uh, do? Uh, I'm not China. I'm not India. I know that uh, if I turn off uh, the light, I'm not saving the world. But mm-hmm. if everybody has a responsible behavior in uh, the use or abuse of uh, electronic devices uh, or electricity or energy and so on, something can change. It's a matter of choices. Of, uh... Yeah, it's very important what you say about uh, to not be afraid of of, uh, of trying. And I also do agree with you that when, because when I was younger and I wanted to change the world, I wanted to, you know, I was very environmentalist. I still am, but now I'm a, a realist environmentalist. <laughs> so, And it's true, like you kind of uh, become a realist, you become an adult. And so there, there must be a way for the future generation, the young ones of today to keep a bit of their young mind throughout their life. Maybe we yeah. can still do that. You know, we can find again some source of, uh, of inspiration. And, and I think that jobs that make you happy because you're passionate about it could be one source of inspiration. This, this is why I do job tales because uh, <laughs> to show people, you know, like you and me, we have now had, you know, over 20, 25 years of, of work experience. And so we can, you know, in hindsight, look back at our life and say, okay, we made our choices, we made our mistakes, we have tried our stuff, are we happy today, you know, yes or no? So now this is my question to you. Are you happy today with all the choices you've made? Okay, uh, yes. The short answer is yes, I'm very <laughs> okay. happy. And if I went back in time, I wouldn't change anything because everything, even mistakes, because of course I made mistakes, but everything that happened in uh, my professional life brought me exactly where I want to be. And I want to be here and now. This is what I'm doing that really, I really enjoy what I'm doing. Of course, uh, 20 years ago, if you ask me what uh, do you want to do in your life, I would uh, have answered something different because mm-hmm. I didn't want that I, I wanted to do what I'm doing now, that I wanted to, to teach uh, prevention of corruption and to try to raise awareness and to spread this culture of integrity in the public administration and even outside public mm-hmm. administration because... Uh, there are many work in progress and works in progress and I want to go on with these uh, activities so uh, of course uh, mistakes and uh, regrets are part of the life and uh, yeah. everybody makes mistakes but they allow you to grow and to learn a lot of things mm. and yes of course I changed my plans but uh, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans <laughs> yeah. and uh, I'm still making other plans, uh, which doesn't mean that I want to leave what I'm doing. But I still have plans. And I think that it's very important to have uh, projects for the future. And I have plenty of projects, plenty of plans. I just need (laughs) energy. More lives. (laughs) Because uh, I I really have many ideas and I want to, to, to go on. So this makes me happy, of course. I couldn't be happy doing a job that uh, annoys me or that uh, is boring or that uh, has no no real uh, effects no impact on real life I co- what yeah. i really think what i like of my what i enjoy of my professional life today is that, that 
that I feel that have an impact because training has an impact on people's mind, on people's awareness. And I am part, I'm a little part of uh, the change I want to see. And that, that makes me happy. That's but of great. course, I can improve. I can yeah. make things better, of course. Yeah. Valentina, it was such a pleasure to talk to you and, uh, you know, look back at our life. <laughs> and uh, great, great advice, uh, great thoughts. And thank you so much for being part of my podcast. Thank you, Laura. It was really a pleasure for me. And thank you. And good luck. Wise words from Valentina. Among them, mistakes and regrets are part of life, but they allow you to grow. Life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. And thirdly, young people dream of changing the world and then they become adults. Well, I hope that you who are listening today will be able to keep the dream of your young age throughout your life and help change your world. 